0: Hello, I'm Carol Harmon. Welcome to Writers Radio, coming to you from the wild west coast of Canada, traditional land of the Coast Salish people. Our episode today is hosted by Ingrid Rose.
1: Welcome to Writer's Radio. I'm your host, Ingrid Rose, and it's my pleasure to be in conversation with Rosanna Hilly. Parkinson's has affected Rosanna's voice, but she's delighted to have her work read on her behalf by poet Christina Marie Moth. It's really good to be having this opportunity to hear your voice. So welcome, Rosanna Healy. This is a job, it's about a lifetime that developed, well, part of lifetime. I know that the earlier part of your family life had you going back to the land, and that story is also in this wonderful collection of stories but we're concentrating on your life working for an NGO and a job that you virtually created for yourself.
2: Yes, yes. it started out as a volunteer job, it turned into a full-time job, working at, with an international NGO, serving projects around the world in about 27 different countries.
1: Yes, and the story that we're going to hear is really early on. It was your first visit to the United Nations in New York. Yes, that's right.
2: And subsequently, I traveled to many remote parts of the world, like India and uh, Latin America and uh, parts of Africa, particularly the Congo.
1: Yes. So I know that this has a lot to do with the learning that you received, yeah. really. Um, and you talk about finding gold in New York, and that's a wonderful metaphor for this book. It could be the title for the whole collection. I found gold in various forms in my journeys. What would you be able to share later on in your, after you've been doing this for quite a long time?
2: Well, I think I really became to appreciate my life for one thing, but also I came to appreciate how people live in other parts of the world that's so different from me. And I was very aware in the Congo of what it's like to be white in an African culture because I had some interesting experiences with people treating me differently because I was white. So it really wakes you up to the history and... Makes you see how things were, and how terrible things were actually in the history of some parts of the world. How did it make you feel to be treated differently? Well, I found, because I was hosted by such wonderful people who looked after me so well, that it negated that I wasn't mistreated at all, but I had experiences. I, I had one experience as a little boy who saw me in a village in the Congo, who, when he saw me, ran screaming into his hut, was terrified, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so his mother came out with him, and she apologized to me and said, I told him if he didn't stop wetting the bed, I was going to give him to the white people. And he thought that I had to, that his time had come, and he was going to give it to me. Oh. <laughs> that was the worst punishment, and I thought, yeah, that's colonialism for you. Oh. She laughed and apologized for his behavior. It was very touching to me because I thought, you know, what does that really mean? What does that say about their history?
1: Yes. Uh, It says a lot. Thank you, Rosanna. We really look forward to reading the whole book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support.
0: My name is Christina Moth, and I'm pleased to be lending my voice to the reading of Rosanna Hilley's short story, Finding Gold in New York. When I get off the plane from Vancouver on my first visit to New York, I'm wearing Birkenstock sandals, a cotton skirt, bare legs t-shirt and a non-wrinkle jacket, and pulling a little beat-up suitcase on wheels. I suddenly become aware of my appearance when chatting with the doorman at the entrance to the swanky apartment building on 57th Street, where my rich and generous friend has offered me his flat. "'You are coming to New York to go to the United Nations?' he had said. "'Well, you must stay at my place.' I will be in Paris and the flat is empty. Just tell the doorman and he will let you in. Tell him I sent you. And that was that. My friend Simon had moved back to Paris after finishing his divinity degree at Harvard and was thinking of selling the apartment, but he hadn't made up his mind yet. He started a peace foundation. He understands my work. My good luck, I thought gratefully. The doorman stands on the mat under the arched awning in his pressed uniform. Very proper, formal and ever so polite. No, madam, there is no Mr. Durand living in this apartment building. You must have the wrong address. Not giving up, I stay on to explain the background and realise I have absolutely no other alternative. No friends in New York and certainly no money for a hotel. He won't budge. He's a good doorman. I realize then that my attire is not inspiring confidence. Finally, I try another tack. Does a Mr. Simon Hermes have an apartment here? To me, Simon was always Mr. Gerand, but he is also known as Mr. Hermes. And it can't hurt to try. That is the magic word, for he bows and scrapes and flings open the door. Mr Hermes? Oh, yes, of course. Why didn't you say so at the beginning? Up we go along the plush green carpeted hallway to the elevator and the third floor where he opens the door for me. I expect the flat to be empty, but as I enter, I hear someone in the back and a man appears inquiring who I am and what I am doing there. I explain myself. I am in New York for a few days to attend UN meetings on behalf of a development organisation I work for, and I am a friend of Mr Hermes. Looking down his aquiline nose, he is none too happy to see me. Apparently, I will be sharing the apartment with a Romanian opera singer and their lover to whom, it turns out, I am now speaking. Who knew? I learn later from the not-too-happy flat owner that they were supposed to be long gone from his apartment and were in fact squatters. Since the lover can't do much about my arrival, he disappears into the back room where they live. Pointing me in the direction of Mr. Hermes' bedroom as he leaves. I never meet the opera singer and don't see the lover again. I breathe in the French opulence, the Thai silk wallpaper, the brocade pillows, exquisite colour palettes, gold trim, the fine sheets, and very fine art. I settle in for a sumptuous stay, run myself a bath from gold taps in the en suite, and prepare myself for the following day. I have never attended UN events in New York before, and look forward to picking up tips on how to contribute to and learn from the global governance structure set up in the year I was born, with the aim to create a safer, more just world. I sleep peacefully the first night in that luxurious bed, reading myself to sleep with poetry I find on a shelf next to the bed, bathing in the warm cast of a classy bedside lamp, cosy under a down duvet and high thread count. Thankfully, I do not hear the opera singer and the lover in the next room. <coughs> The next morning, I walk the few blocks to the UN headquarters to get my pass. The curve of national flags of member states waves me in through security. This was before 2001. Past that Let Us Beat Our Swords Into Plowshares statue, gifted to the UN by the Soviet Union in 1959. Past the Knotted Gun, a non-violent statue by a Swedish artist created after the murder of John Lennon, past Mark Chagall's Blue Peace Window, a memorial to Dag Hammarskjöld. In the green marble chambers and halls of power, so familiar from the many news broadcasts I have seen, I joined the discussions with lively participants representing civil societies from every continent. How can we work better with governments? How do we build trust and understanding with our partners? How do we build capacity on the ground? Why are we doing this work? What does it all mean? How can these earnest conversations lead to social change? I am attending a meeting about the role of non-governmental organisations, NGOs, in the work of the United Nations. Susila Dharma International is a member of Congo, an acronym for Conference of NGOs in Consultative Status with the UN, a semi-official body within the UN. This meeting about the global big picture is different from Habitat 2 in Turkey, or microcredit summit in Washington, D.C. that I attended, which both had a specific focus, housing and microcredit financing, respectively. I find it a lot to absorb and rather overwhelming. My impression is of many good people working hard and sincerely to solve the problems of the world, but spinning their wheels. I wonder if it is just my wheels spinning, Perhaps we in the development community are simply naive and somewhat blind to the political realities standing in the way of our success? I sit and listen. I struggle to place myself and our small international NGO into this big picture. But I am encouraged by Kofi Annan's words It is only since the Earth Summit in 1992 that civil society groups have really made their mark on global society. You have played a key role at world conferences on such vital issues as human rights, population, poverty and women's rights. So maybe I have a place here after all. This meeting is a valuable orientation for me to understand more about tackling our challenges. And it gives me hope that we can all become unstuck one day. I can't say I come away that day with new insights on how to proceed, except to continue as we are doing, diligently pursuing our small efforts. I know we are not alone. Returning to my borrowed flat, tired and a little overwhelmed, I'm truly happy to have a comfortable place to land. The doorman recognises me, smiles and chats, asking how my day went as he lets me into the flat. Sitting in the empty kitchen on a barstool, gazing out the window into the elegant metropolitan street below, I eat my evening meal of cheese, crackers and fruit I bought from a small shop on my walk back. I browse through the living room with uncomfortable-looking Louis XIV furniture of fine damask and gilt, deep green walls and equestrian pictures in gilded frames. Entering the master bedroom where I expect to sleep for a second night, I notice suitcases that were not there when I left in the morning. Suddenly, laughing, bustling people enter the flat and I come face to face with two women laden with parcels. What? Simon's sister and her daughter have flown over from Paris for a day's shopping in New York and are flying back tomorrow. We exchange polite hellos, and I explain my presence, only to be told that I will have to move into the office, since they will be taking the master bedroom tonight. Well, even if I was here first, this is family. So I move my little suitcase and drying panties over to the cubbyhole office with a loveseat, desk, and chair. Looking around the tiny space, I move the chair out into the hallway, take the two cushions off the love seat and arrange a makeshift bed on the floor with my feet under the desk. The sister gives me a blanket and pillow. It is a lumpy night's sleep. I lie there, smiling about my bumpy slide down the status ladder. From the generous invitation to the unavailable guest room, to a luxurious night surrounded by elegance, to a couple of sofa cushions on the floor. You never know where this development work is going to take you. On my last day in New York, I go to an exhibition of the Italian Renaissance painter Fra Angelico, 1395-1455 whose exquisite small angels, madonnas and holy figures are opulent, decorated in gold leaf. I marvel at the skill, the devotion, the beliefs, the expressions, the beauty and the gold. Walking back to pick up my suitcase from the apartment to fly home, I reflect on my first trip to New York. It has been about gold in all its forms. Surrounded by gold, gold illuminating spirit and art and bathtub faucets, gold representing wealth and excess and holy light. And golden opportunities for the world if we play our cards right. I think of the gold I do not have in my life and conclude I don't really need it. A wealthy life is not my metier. But looking down at my feet, I think to myself, I really have to do something about these Birkenstocks before my next visit to New York. Maybe a trip to John Fluvok to find some great shoes first?
1: to Christina Marie Moth reading Rosanna Hill's story Finding Gold in New York This is Writers Radio and I'm Ingrid Rose Thanks to my co-producers and co-hosts Carol Harmon and Gary Sill, who is also our music man and tech whiz Thanks to our writers readers and to you, our listeners Don't forget to tune in to writersradio.ca to listen to our current program, Playing on the Hour, Every Hour, or to listen to our podcasts. If you haven't already, please subscribe at writersradio.ca.